Welcome to the Unstoppable Coach Podcast. I'm Millette Jones, and every weekday I chat with today's most successful coaches, and we learn their secrets to building a thriving coaching business. Are you ready to be unstoppable? Let's go. Welcome to the Unstoppable Coach Podcast, where inspiration and action come together. Today, we're speaking with career coach Mark Miller. Mark's firm, Career Pivot, specializes in helping baby boomers pivot their careers to create successful and fulfilling professional lives. He's a coach, speaker, host of the podcast Repurpose Your Career, and author of Personal Branding for Baby Boomers and Repurpose Your Career, a practical guide for the second half of life, now available on Amazon. Thanks for joining me today, Mark. It's great to be here with you. Before we jump into more about your business, I would like for you to tell us just a little bit about who you are and what you like to do when you're not at work. Well, I like to say I'm a recovering engineer. There's a 12-step program for that. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I My career spent 22 years with IBM. Uh, left IBM in 2000 to go for a successful tech startup. Uh, then on July 11th of 2002, I'm a big time cyclist and I came down a hill at about 30 miles an hour and 30 miles an hour and turned into a blind turn where the road was cambered the wrong way, which means I couldn't hold the turn. And, uh, I slammed into a Toyota Corolla going the other direction at about the same speed. Oh, um, I, essentially spent five days in the trauma center. I broke, I tore up my knee. I broke a hip. I dislocated my shoulder, broke a bunch of ribs, broke the clavicle, had imprints of the pads, of the helmet in my head, but I had no internal injuries and no brain injuries I'm willing to admit to. Oh my goodness. And uh, they had me walking on crutches in three days. I was back on a bike in 10 weeks, flying back to China in four months. Oh, I should mention, I flew right smack in the middle of the SARS epidemic in China. Oh no. So, that was what I refer to as my WTF moment. No kidding. Uh, why am I doing this? My <laughs> son had graduated from high school. Uh, he had gone off to college. My first startup didn't leave us rich, but left us debt free. So I was in my middle 40s going, what am I doing? So I went off and the next year laid myself off, taught high school math for two years at inner city high school. I was very successful, but I couldn't do that and stay healthy. Um, then I did a stint of one year fundraising, developing a corporate development program for the Jewish Community Center here in Austin. As I joke, um, being a non-Jew, being the face of a Jewish organization is interesting. And I then went off and, uh, after that, I did, I joke, I relapsed. I went back into another startup and I eventually started, uh, my business career pivot back in 2012. Oh, wow. And so I'm, um, as I like to say, I don't look like anybody else who does what I do. I'm a, I'm a recovering engineer. <laughs> Well, now that's that's actually quite a story. And, you know, we all love to be inspired by people's business journey. So the first part of our conversation is going to focus on your journey. How long have you been in coaching and what led you to get into it in the first place? Well, I, by the way, I don't call myself a coach. I call myself a career designer. That's the uh, engineer in me. And I started, I left my last corporate gig in January 2011. I launched the Career Pivot brand in February 2012. But the origins of the business came out of the Great Recession. I was watching, I've been involved with a job club now for 10 years. And 
I started looking at, during the Great Recession, watching most of my buddies getting wiped out, going bankrupt. And I thought, wow, who's taking care of them? Who's worried about baby boomers? And the answer was nobody. And so I started formulating. I talked to a lot of career professionals. I talked to a lot of coaches. Here are my ideas. Here's what I want to do. Here's how I want to form the business. And it just, it came out of that. I ended up starting the business a year early. I ended up leaving corporate America a year earlier than planned because my idiot boss put me in an unethical position. And I told him, Goodbye. Uh, he, I was told to hire the CEO's brother. Uh-oh. And I said, no, no. And so it it has evolved over time. I'll just put it that way. But the origins go back to three, four years beforehand. So now I'm in my, I'm going to say my mid-40s. It's it's a little on the upper end. And I'm not a baby boomer. So uh, for people listening, what what is considered a baby boomer? What age would that that person be right now? Sure. The a baby boomer is born between 1946 and 64. Today, that means they're in their mid 50s, all the way up to 70. And we were the largest demographic. We we've been the largest demographic in society for a long time. In other words, we changed everything. Mm-hmm. And we the assumption was, hey, all these folks they're going to go retire. The reality is the vast majority of my generation has not saved enough money to retire, mm-hmm. particularly having gone through both the dot-com bust and the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. We went through about a 15 years of where our retirement portfolios didn't double or triple as expected. They decreased. Right. And so, and the fact that most of us are going to live a lot longer than our parents did. Right. Now, I am now 60. I am far healthier and active than my father was at my same age. And I've reached a point where, you know what? I have no intention of ever retiring. I want to work less at something I enjoy. I want to work on my terms. Mm. And as a baby boomer, I was raised to be an employee, to go work for a father-like company that would take care of me. And after 30 or 40 years, I would ride off into the sunset and I would retire and you know what? They moved my cheese. <laughs> yeah, for a lot of people, that seems to have happened. <laughs> so, yeah, it's none of this has turned out the way it, it we had planned. So that's the group I target because I didn't see anybody else targeting. Now, I'm slightly shifting down to those what I refer to in the second half of life mm-hmm. because I'm running into a lot of folks in their mid to late 40s and early 50s who are successful and hate what they do. Right. Yeah. And and I refer and I refer to the second half of life is we all reach some point in our time in our lifetime that says you know what our priorities shift maybe it's when our kids graduate from high school maybe it's when we pay off the mortgage maybe we just finally go you know what I've had enough I want to do something different now are you finding that the people that you're working with are they more interested in is their pivot more about striking out on their own. Or is it just about, like you said, you, you grew up in a generation where the idea was you worked for a company. You know, Do you find that people just want to make a change in where they're working? Or are they actually coming in with a new mindset and they just want to strike out on their own and create their own business? It's a little bit of everything. Mostly it's making, we came up with the term career pivot is the fact that most of us don't make these big, huge giant leaps into something brand new. Mm -hmm. 
I like to say you repurpose either your skills or your industry experience. Hmm. And the idea is to come up with pivots such that you incrementally move from point A to point B, C, D, E. Part of it is when we reach our 40s and 50s, we have these things called obligations. Mm. We have spouses, we have mortgages, we have kids to fund their college education, we need to put food on the table. And so how do we incrementally do this? Now, I'm on my seventh career. Some people say I can't hold a job. And <laughs> and what the the key attribute of every career change has been it's been a half-step career change. I.e., I had one foot in the new world, I had one foot and foot in the old world, and there was always a relationship that took me across. Hmm. In other words, there was always someone who took a chance on me. And so it wasn't taking these big leaps, it's taking doing it incrementally. And I'll use the example. I just had a did a podcast a couple of weeks ago with my with my intern, and my intern's in her fifties. Uh, Elizabeth and Elizabeth spent most of her career in uh, environmental engineering. She'd done all air and water permitting. Uh, she had a political science and a journalism degree and finally had gotten sick and tired of it after 20 plus years. Mm-hmm. And what we ended up doing was pivoting her within her same company from doing air and water permitting into doing, um, uh, business development and some social media and marketing, okay. right? So, so it's, it's, she had all the industry expertise. Then she now works. She has just left that company and is now working for an international mining equipment company doing up in a pure marketing role where she uh, organizes trade shows and writes social media posts. As I, as she has been saying, if you got really big rocks in your yard, she can help you. She got rock crushers. <laughs> and she got the job because she understood what these might, what the mining equipment company sold. Mm, mm-hmm. And she had enough marketing background that they said, Oh, let's hire her. And, and probably there's another pivot past that. Right. Yeah. Speaking of, you know, the pivots and the idea of, you know, you take a little bit from what you have, you move a little bit into something new. That sounds like it's a nice, to me, that sounds like it's a fairly easy sort of transition. Maybe not easy, but it doesn't have as much of the really big ups and downs that sometimes starting a brand new business can have. So can you tell us about maybe sure. one of your ups and downs, one of the downs, some sort of a disappointment or like a low point when you were getting started building up your, your coaching or your career design business? Sure. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. I've, I've always claimed I'm at my best when I don't know what I'm doing. And, and yes, you, you, you go through these ups and downs. Every business has its own phases and life cycles. And I'll use the example. One of the questions from a coaching perspective is, do you publish your prices? Right. And, and I work, I work my business completely different from other people. I'm a former consultant. So I do everything in packages with money paid up front. I don't charge by the hour. In fact, I'm very liberal. I give my hours away very freely, uh, which my clients really like. And so it becomes back in 2014, I suddenly decided, eh, maybe I'll publish my prices on my website. And suddenly things went thunk. Hmm. The phone stopped ringing. 
And hmm. it's like, and after about three months, I'm going, what's going on? Because it kind of had started dwindling out. And then I, I said, I'm a recovering engineer. I can see patterns. I went back and looked. What did I do back around the time when everything stopped? Oh, I published prices. I took them off. People started calling me again. Huh. Was that the right thing or the wrong thing to do? Uh, I don't know, but, uh, I've never published prices again. And in, in a lot of it, it has to do with the business model I work through. And yes, I've had to, and, and rather interesting, my sales funnel died right around the election. Huh. It has completely gone quiet. Now it's picking back up now and people are calling me again, but. If this had happened three years ago, I would have been going, oh, what's going on? What's going on? <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, this, this time it's like, okay, uh, this is all about not having a paycheck but cash flow, which I can manage. And it gave me time. I've got my book coming out on April 17th. So it's given me time to work on the book and kind of get all the marketing and all that stuff working. So I just redirected my time. But they said back in 2014, it was pretty unnerving because I didn't understand what the heck was going on. So I, I have heard a lot of discussion around people saying that you should or you should not publish your prices. Uh, I guess I'm one of those people that just where I'm at, I like to know up front what something is going to cost. And I think I have, a, for me, there's a fear around contacting someone because I'm worried that they'll try to hard sell me or I'll be in a position that's uncomfortable, that sort of thing. Um, can you talk a little bit about why you feel like it's a great idea to to not put those prices out there and, and why you think that when you did, people stopped getting in touch? Well, what they did was, is they started pricing themselves out. Mm. You know, they started f pre filtering themselves. Well, I can't afford that. Well, yes, you can. And, and part of that's my, the age demographic I'm targeting now, admittedly back still in 2014, we didn't have a great economy. And at that time, about half my clientele had were laid off in some kind of severance. Mm -hmm. And now most of the people I get are actually employed who want to make a transition. Now, the reason it works for me is I've got a very, very active blog. I have a now about 850 posts. Mm. Um, it garners about 25,000 visits a month. And I have worked very hard over the last five years to cultivate a brand that says, I am very trustworthy. Mm -hmm. um, I am very direct. I do not, I do not, um, I'm not soft in how I how I think the way things are going. And so people and and it's like anything else, whether it's a job or it's as a coach or whatever, you want to understand who do you want to attract and who do you want to repel? Mm -hmm. I want people who want to make a change. I want people who are willing to work hard to do the introspection. If they're worried about every single nickel and dime they're going to spend, they're probably not the right client for me. We've all heard this joke about, you know, it takes four years to become an overnight success. You know, it takes lots of consistent action before you can really catch that first big break. So can you tell us about a tipping point in your business? Maybe when you felt like you were finally starting to gain some momentum. Well, this has all been about relationships and getting, I, I get lots of people asking me, 
particularly from my National Speakers Association group, going, who's my publicist? And I said, I don't have one. And I very early on built relationships at PBS Next Avenue, which is PBS's Baby Boomer website. As it turns out, the managing editor, uh, Richard Eisenberg, and I both went to Northwestern exactly the same time. We didn't know each other, but they have been very, very good to me. Every time I publish an article on Next Avenue, it gets on Forbes. So I, I'm also, uh, at various different times back in 2013, I made the Forbes Top 100 Career website list, which is kind of, and, and yes, I pulled out all stops of getting people to say, yes, you need to look at Career Pivot. You need to look at Career Pivot. I probably sent a thousand emails and in other words, I stuffed, I, 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 I crashed the ballot box and <laughs> right. I, I called in a lot of, you owe me. And, uh-huh. <laughs> and, but it's, it's been ever since then, I've had a steady stream. If you look at my website, my website traffic has been growing at 4% every month, you know, pretty much for the last five years. It's, nice. it's be in part of that is my consistency and getting just simply getting my voice out there and it's been a, in other words this is a marathon it is not a sprint and so mm-hmm. it's being right. very very consistent i'm also yes i want to make money at this but i'm also at a point in life where i don't have to make as much money as i used to so we're fine mm-hmm. uh, i mean i've crossed the 60 barrier so we're you know if this is more a manage of looking at the long term and also having a brand that yes maybe in 10 years I can sell so it's 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 looking at the big picture and and getting the right relationships has gotten me everywhere uh, i'll use the example with my book that's coming out on april 17th i've got literally a who's who's list of baby boomer career people who have all given me quotes now that didn't happen overnight awesome. i've got chris farrell who wrote the unretirement book I got Carrie Hannon, who's been on my podcast. She's a Forms and ARP writer. Nancy Colomer, um, Richard Eisenberg. I've got a variety of people who are all willing to help me to some extent because I've also been very willing to help them. And it's always making asks that are very easy to do. And so, yes, this is this has been a marathon. It's not been a sprint. Well, that actually that makes a lot of sense. And I think that there's a lot of people who... I wouldn't say they don't want to build relationships, but I think that, that like you're saying, you know, the building the relationships is sort of like the keeping the longer goal in mind. And it seems like a lot of people these days just want it to happen immediately. So just keeping in mind that it's all about consistency and, and building a community and building relationships and then like you said, later on, you have those those favors to call in. You have those people that are willing to to step out and help you, and that that can give you that extra push when you need it. Yeah, it's it's also being authentic and authentic in your messaging and being very clear. I end up I've helped a number of coaches who say, "Well, I want to I want to support this." really big audience. I said, well, what you really need to do is niche yourself down and then branch yourself out later. Mm-hmm. But get, and, and by niching yourself down, it helps you, it helps you, your message become clearer as to who do you want to help? Mm-hmm. You can't help everybody. And with my own coach, 
she was very careful with me early on was to identify who I wanted to work with and who I didn't want to work with. In other words, who did I want to repel because mm-hmm. they they will suck up your time sure. um, and won't be and and will suck your energy and they won't be they won't be fun to work with. And then how do you find how do you find yourself repelling people? Is it just by being super clear and consistent with the message that you're putting out there to attract the right person? And then that repelling people just sort of as a natural byproduct of that? Yes. Uh, it's rather interesting. I uh, I wrote a blog post this last year on how to make your LinkedIn profile be an opportunity magnet. And you have to remember, magnets on one side attract and on the other side repel. Mm-hmm. What you don't want to do is attract people that or opportunities that are not right for you. I've been very careful. If I have, for example, if I have a 20 something come to me and I've had some friends try to send their kids to me and I say, no, but let me refer them off to someone else. I know not to work with them. My methods work best with people who have long history, long work history. And then therefore, as I like to say, they have a huge database of experiences that they can go back and reflect on. The kids don't have that. And so I, it doesn't make sense for me to work with them. So it's not just about putting out the message that will attract the right person. It's not being afraid to be that gatekeeper and sending the wrong people either away or just on to someone else who could help them more. Yeah, I'll put it bluntly. I'm not a psychologist. <laughs> I'm, if, if, if there are mental health issues, I'm going to help them find mental health. I've had several clients who, before they could go look for a job, they need to get mental health aligned. And to some extent, I can help them with... Like I've had a couple of clients who've been highly stressed and um, there's a book called Positive Intelligence. I I have them work through to de-stress. But if they're real mental health, like depression, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm going to help you find someone who can help you. Right, right. That makes sense. Now, success, we often measure that like in milestones or certain goals. So what has been a benchmark that you've set and achieved, maybe like a really big win or something that you've just been super proud of? Well, it's a combination of number one, uh, I'm, I'm on my third book. And I, right now I've got the books out to about 100 people to review. So when it gets published, um, when Amazon finally public, when I finally publish it on Amazon, they can go write a review. And the feedback I've been getting from everyone has been phenomenally good. Well, it's my baby. Of course it's good. <laughs> but it's still it's still very very gratifying when people come back and they say, "Wow, this is good stuff. I can use this." That is very gratifying because one of the things I very much pride myself on is I listen and I listen to my audience. I've been quite blessed through my out my career. I've developed curriculum and taught in 40 different countries. Mm. And one of the things, one of my mottos is, or mantras, is no matter who I think the audience is, it's always different. (laughs) It's never what you quite expect. Uh And so it's it's being a good listener. Um, to how people respond to my blog, to my podcast, to which ones do they respond to well. That's all a very, it, it, it's all feedback. Uh, when you suddenly you produce something and it gets crickets, that's mm-hmm. feedback too. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so I've had at various different times, I've had a couple of blog posts that go it went viral. And I had one that said the five things in your resume that say you're too old. Uh-oh. <laughs> and, and, <That's... laughs> well, it's, it's, well, number one, it says you have an AOL email address. Oh, no. <laughs> Two, you put your home address on on your resume. Oh, I uh, would do that. Uh, <laughs> you put your home phone number. There you go. You put obsolete <laughs> skills, and I said I was an MS-DOS control programmer. Oh. <laughs> but the one that really ticked people off, and it was just amazing – was two spaces after a period. Yep. yep. And, and I knew from my job club that we had certain companies that were screening people out during the Great Recession looking for two spaces after a period. That's so interesting that they would do that. And I'm sorry. And and I, by the way, my first job out of college working for IBM was working for uh, developing word processors. I can explain why you had two spaces back then and why it no longer makes sense. But, uh, it's, it's, but when that went viral and it on LinkedIn, it went to about three quarters of a million views. It was amazing the feedback I got. Some, some and significant amount of hate mail. And, but by the way, it sold 250, 300 copies of my book just off That's that nice. blog, just off that blog post. And so it, it was like suddenly it's going, wow. Um, this, again, these were all pivotal moments of, and mm -hmm. mostly they're pivotal moments in my learning, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. Uh, what's the name of your book that's, that's going to be, you said it's oh, out on the 17th? Yes. It's Repurpose Your Career, A Practical Guide for the Second Half of Life. Mm, awesome. Okay. Now. Before we move on to the part of the podcast that focuses on real action steps that coaches can take to start or grow their business, I'd like to talk about the future just a little bit. So what are you most excited about creating next in your business? Sure. I am, I am trying to figure out how to scale my business. And it's not just trading you know, money for time. And I'm looking at this in two ways. One was, could I franchise it? I have a system now that is well understood. It's well developed. And I've talked to a variety of coaches and mentors of mine. And they basically said, Mark, you can do this, but nobody else can. And part of it is I have this incredibly broad industry and skills background. I am incredibly horizontally skilled. And I've worked in well, I spent seven years working for IBM where all I did was speak to IBM's top customers. And I did that every day, 250 days a year. And I got to, you know, everything from Bureau of Land Management to, yes, the NSA, to Boots the Cat Pharmacy in the UK, to, um, you know, Seiko, to, you know, you name it. And I've got this broad background. So I finally went, okay, I can't do that. But can I put this as an online community? And by the way, I have been looking at people who have successfully built online communities in the career space with the older audience? And the answer is I haven't found anybody. But that is where I'm shifting to slightly a younger audience. And I'm about to join, there's a group called the Flipped Lifestyle. Um, and I'm about to join their community. And I've, I've actually been following their um I've been following their lessons as, as I listen to their podcast and I'm well along the way to doing that. And I've, I've got a very large email list. I've got a lot of followers, you know, and, and my email list grows at three, 4% a month. And 
we're at the point where this starts to make sense. And that's where I want to scale the business. Model is really interesting to me um, as far as I think that uh, being able to have that community of people is a really interesting aspect of things. Well, it's it's kind of like the job club I've been affiliated with for 10 years now. We've put 15, 20,000 people through our program. It's when people walk in and, and it's the community. It's when they walk in and suddenly, wow, there are a lot of other people just like me. I am not alone. Mm-hmm. And it's trying to figure out how I form that. By the way, I've watched AARP launch their Life Reimagined. They're on their third incantation and they're failing again. Uh, no one ever completes it. So it's it's all about building that community that supports itself, and that's where I'm that's where I'm headed. Yeah, it sounds like that's a that's a would be a very interesting business model, and and if you can if you can make it make it work where maybe others haven't been able to, I think it would really serve a it would it would serve a great purpose. And and like you said, maybe the broadening your scope a little bit with the younger. Or what would I, I guess I'm a generation X. So I guess the older Gen Xers, so that you, uh, you hit that, yeah, you hit that uh, demographic that maybe understands the concept of, you know, the, the community, internet based community. That's right. And, and are willing to share and are willing to participate online. I've, I've got this broad technology background, so none of this technology scares me. I've, I've been through two successful tech startups. Mm-hmm. Um, my second one was a high-definition video conferencing. So none of this stuff scares me, and I've got a marketing and sales background to go along with. I said, I'm weird. Um, and so it's trying to figure out how do I build that community. And again, this will be a marathon. It will not be a sprint. Sure. Sure. That makes sense. Now, we're going to move into the part of the conversation that I really like. It's talking about what's working right now in your business. Now, one of the things that I like to stress to coaches is that there's so many different ways, both online and offline, to make a living as a coach. So what are the ways that you're generating revenue in your business today? Okay. Most of my revenue currently comes from direct coaching. I also have my book sales. Uh, I'm also an Amazon affiliate and I also now have enough traffic that I'm generating ads on my website. Oh, interesting. Um, The reality is once you reach 20 to 25,000 visitors a month, you can actually start generating income. Um, Right now it's about a hundred to $200 a month, which by the way, pays for the website. Sure. And pays for all its maintenance. So it, and the idea is eventually getting to the point where it starts paying for it. The next step is, um, you know, my first set of books sold 3,000 copies. My next, this current, the book that's coming out, my goal is 10 to 15,000 copies. Now that will also generate, um, speaking engagements. I make a, you know, four or 5% of my income on speaking engagements. Mostly I speak primarily to generate, um, they're lead magnets. They're, they're mm-hmm. a way to generate, uh, leads. And, and by the way, I'm a really good public speaker. I said, that's what I did for IBM for 10 years. That's all I did for IBM for 10 years was, was being a public speaker. So it's, it's a matter of going, okay, how much of that do I want to balance out? So my goal now is, is to take all of this goodwill and traffic that I've built on my website and start monetizing that. Mm-hmm. 
That's the next step. Yeah, that makes sense. I like the fact that that you've got a lot of different ways that you're generating revenue. And I, I think that's a smart way of doing things. For me, it's just like I like to do a lot of different things. So it keeps me uh, keeps my mind busy and keeps me from getting bored. But it's also great, like you said, if you if you hit a, a low time or a recession or one part of your business kind of takes a dip, you have other areas that don't take a dip. So that's a that seems like a, a really smart way of of building up a business these days. Yeah, it's rather interesting. I started the podcast because I wanted to do something new mm-hmm. and it's just to keep it interesting. Yeah, definitely. Now, the Unstoppable Coach family is made up of both new and experienced coaches. But the one thing that everyone has in common is they're all looking for ways to grow their business. So what's your favorite strategy these days for bringing in brand new clients? It's it's interesting. I have, up to this point, I've always had a steady flow of clients that usually came through my blog. I have a couple of organizations I work with. One of them is Product Camp, Product Managers. Every time I speak at Product Camp, which I do twice a year, I get clients. And so it's a matter of figuring out the the organizations and where do I have to develop the street cred that I know what I'm doing. And so yeah, it's business. My business development strategy has been completely based off my, um, off my blog and building traffic and then appropriately promoting those posts in the right places, in the right LinkedIn groups, on Twitter. Uh, actually, I've reached the point now where my best promotion is my own LinkedIn profile with, I'm up to, I don't know, 18, 19,000 followers on, on LinkedIn. And it's just been very, very methodical. And put it bluntly, again, I want to be a magnet. I want to repel the people I don't want, and I want to attract the people I want. So as LinkedIn, you know, I've I've talked to a lot of people that they almost look at social media as sort of the necessary evil, like they just don't care for it that much, but they know they have to be on it. And a lot of coaches seem to be on Facebook. Um, So are you finding that LinkedIn is really your go-to social media outlet where you're really just generating those relationships and and bringing people to you? Oh, yes. Um, Well, my original target audience was men over 50. Mm. The smallest demographic on Facebook is men over 50. (laughs) So the answer comes down to is no, I do not. And Facebook has also reached the point where it is pay to play. Mm, Now, I'm probably going to move back as I start doing Facebook advertising. Mm -hmm. And as as I start looking, almost everything I've done up to this point has been organic organic, uh, reach. Mm. That's changed. All all social media now is pay to play and figuring out where where does it make sense? Where do you spend your dollars and what's the return on investment? Mm Mm-hmm. And you've got to be able to do that in a very, very methodical way. And that's, by the way, the one thing I like about the Flip Lifestyle folks is they they talk about, okay, here's, if you're going to do, um, if you know, I'm, I'm going to start putting Facebook pixels on, 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 you know, pixelizing people as they come to my website and then start doing um, uh, both Facebook ads and retargeting ads and, and, and doing it with small spends and right. then measuring. Yeah, 
Yeah. See, that makes sense. I, I enjoy the idea of thinking about <laughs> measuring, I think, more than – see, I don't know. Maybe your mind must just work very well that way. And I guess, like you said, that's the engineer in you to be able to you know to test and then measure. But I don't have that quality in me, the, the idea of – testing and then measuring. I just want to test and have it work. So maybe <laughs> maybe I need to <laughs> I need to learn how to uh to look at it more in, with that idea of I have to be able to measure the results. <laughs> well, you try things and see whether they work. Last yeah. year last year I did use live video on Blab and it blew up. It was horrible. It it uh. just didn't work. And I did it for 6 months and went, "Wow, this is not working." Mm. Now, I went back and did an analysis on why it didn't work, and I can tell you why, and that's one of the reasons why I started the podcast. Mm. And mm-hmm. and it's it, in some of its demographics, some of its technological, there are all kinds of factors that factored in. Right. So if you – the idea is try stuff and see how it works. And if it doesn't work, then be able to have a plan B. Right, right. Be able to dig in and, and figure out why it didn't work and then – and then pivot and move on to something else. It's called fail and fail fast. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. That way you're not you're not wasting too much time or money, but you do it enough to get a, a feel for whether it's going to work. And, and if it's not, then you can move on to, to try another thing. That's right. So, now, knowing what you know now about building up a successful business, what would you say is one action step that coaches should implement this week if they're serious about growing a coaching business? Well, for me, I went the entire organic method for finding, building traffic to my website. Mm -hmm. If I was to do it again, I probably would have paid someone to help me essentially buy traffic Mm -hmm. uh, and and been very strategic in getting uh, someone to help me and I'm a, I'm a big believer I pay I pay for quality and I pay for results right so I one of the things I had to learn very early on and this is a real challenge that I have because I'm very horizontally skilled I can know how to do a lot of stuff I have to hire people for things that I should not be doing or don't like to do mm-hmm. like I have an accountant I have I have a bookkeeper I have a, a webmaster I do not touch I do Try and keep the amount of stuff I do on my website to a minimum. Uh, and I'm very technical. You want me to write JavaScript? I can write JavaScript. Uh, I'm probably weird in that way. I don't touch that stuff. And so it's, it's picking up and finding people who are, who are going to help you. I've got a virtual, I've, I, I've had a variety of editors and virtual assistants over the years and I've got one that I'm real happy with right now. And, and I'm progressively giving her more and more work. Right. So I, I mean, if I'm thinking of it the right way, you're sort of saying that even though you know how to do a lot of things, and even though you could do a lot of things, you're really choosing to focus on the items that are going to bring you clients that are going to bring more income to you versus spending a lot of time on the stuff that that someone else could do for you. 
Yes. So I have three books. I have a third one coming out. I've worked with a ghostwriter on each one. Oh, interesting. I am not, you know, um, I'll use the example of the first book, Repurpose Your Career, a Practical Guide for Baby Boomers. Mm -hmm. The way that was developed was Susan Leahy, who uh, is my co-author, and she... She interviewed me. We generated a white paper called uh, uh, Don't Retire Even If You Can, A Baby Boomer Manifesto. That made up about 25% of the book. Mm. Um, you know, she picked and chose pieces from it, actually most of it. Then about 60% of the book came straight from my blog. Mm -hmm. And then she wrote the rest. Nice. Now, I paid – now. We did a lot of trading. Uh, Susan, I was her first major ghostwriting client. Uh, I have a good buddy who's done 21 self-publishing books, self-published books. So she, he helped her do the book layout, which is now much easier than it was four years ago. Sure. And and I, I did some career work for him. Now, part of the deal was she gets her name on the front of the book. Mm -hmm. By the way, that costs me nothing. Uh, similarly, I, the same woman, uh, Mommy Serwa, has done all three of my book covers. I really love her. I love her work for what she does. And and she's now back in Ghana, and she's working for me from Ghana. Oh, by the way, this time I'm making sure I'm putting her name on Amazon as the book as the book cover designer. Hmm. By the way, did that cost me anything? No. In other words, if people do good things for me, I will promote the heck out of them. Now, what that does, what that promotes is incredible loyalty. Sure. And people will go the extra mile to make sure it's done right. You, you do good things for me and I will do good things for you. And I will, and if you do good things for me, I will go double the length to do good things for you. That's, that's a great idea. It just goes back to that, that concept of just building relationships and, you know, if you, you build them now and then they're always going to be there, there's always going to be people that are going to be willing to help you and go the extra mile for you. Oh, yes. And I, I've had to really kick myself in the butt a couple of times saying, stop doing this. Go get someone else to go do it. Right. Yeah, because we can, we all, and I, I in particular, I have that idea of no one can do it as good as me. <laughs> <laughs> or, or I'll be looking over their shoulder so much that they're going to get mad at me. You know, I, I want to have my hands in everything, but that's something that, uh, that we just can't do if we really want to build our business up. It's not sustainable to think that we can do everything in the business. You got it. This has been so good. I've learned so much from you, Mark. Um, we're going to finish up with our final five rapid fire questions. So what is one habit or skill that's helped you become unstoppable? Uh, as I said, I think I've said this multiple times. It's being a good listener. It's paying attention. What is one quality you feel every successful coach needs to develop? It, again, it, it comes back to it's, it's understanding who they want as a client and who they don't don't want as a client. In other words, who are they the greatest benefit to and are going to be able to help and refer people off who are, you're not a good fit for? Give us one book that's had a big impact either on your business or on your life. Oh, that's, that's an easy one. I've just did a review on a book called Necessary Endings by Dr. Henry Cloud. It's a great book. It's basically saying, we don't end things in our lives and endings are a natural phase of life. And it's got me thinking about, I'm in Austin, Texas. I've been here 40 years. Why am I still here? My business is virtual. 
uh, I have no family here anymore. And uh, yes, my friends, but even there, that's kind of, you know, my, 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 my core network has kind of moved off. And in fact, if we moved away and we're talking about moving to South America, my son and his my daughter-in-law may actually visit us more often. <laughs> That's one way of looking at it. <laughs> you know, and, 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 but, but, uh, Dr. Cloud talks about the fact that we don't end stuff and, and there's a whole, it's a, it's a great book and I've got, it's, it's gotten, I've, I've gotten two or three clients to read through it and really start understanding why am I still doing this? Mm. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds great because I, I totally agree that we just get comfortable and, and we just stay whether it's it doesn't matter what it what it is i think that people just like to stay where they are <laughs> so that's an awesome resource now give us one online resource that you think coaches would love and that you couldn't do business without oh mine is easy it's schedule ones it's my calendar i i have clients all over the world and and i and i'll put it this way <laughs> i suck with time zones i absolutely suck Okay. Okay. Finally, how can listeners best connect with you? What social platforms do you hang out on the most? And what's your website? Ah, well, I am the easiest to find is at careerpivot.com. And you can hit either the speaker, the speaker, speak pipe on the right hand, or there's a variety of, there's a contact me. And oh, by the way, I even have a phone number on my website. <laughs> And you can call me and leave me a message. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn. If you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, go ahead and just send me a connection saying you heard me on the Unstoppable Coach podcast. And I'm also on Facebook. There's a Facebook page, Career Pivot. There is at Career Pivot on Twitter. And um, I, I've kind of finally given up on Google+. Plus. And I'm not an Instagram person. So it's, it's, it's LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Okay, great. Well, I'll be sure to put all of those links on the show notes page. And this has been such an amazing conversation. Mark, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me on. Thanks for joining us on the Unstoppable Coach Podcast. Be sure to head over to the website at unstoppablecoach.co where you can grab the show notes and check out all the resources and the links to the guest website and social sites. And be sure you join us every weekday when I interview another successful coach and we learn their secrets to building an unstoppable coaching business.